0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Brain Food Show. Here this week, as always, it's me, one of your co-hosts, Simon, and as ever, Davin. How you doing? Good. How are you? How's the baby? Uh, good. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Um, first, what, like seven weeks old now? So, mm-hmm. still loud still at that points. That's the key um, thing, you know? Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it does surprise me, like, oh, babies can die when they're young, so yeah. you, you have all these things, like a breathing monitor, and I don't know, I'll take her out for a walk in the pram or whatever, yeah. and it'd be like, you're still alive? Yeah. Yep. Totally. <laughs> I don't know, I've got quite good at the old, give it a little blow on the face. Yeah. And uh, see, so also- does a little scrunched her face, and you're like, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: They also have, uh, I used, that worked really good, I can't even remember the name of it, um, but it's like a little heart monitor thing you put on their feet. And it gives you their oxygen and oh. uh, and heart rate. And it's like connected to your phone, like with a, like an alarm and everything. So you can just like, look, oh, yeah, oxygen level good, heart, heart rate good. It's kind of cool.
0: Oh, that's pretty clever. You know, I didn't end up getting that yeah. because I was like, well, I've got the breathing monitor in the bed. Do I really need that? Yeah. And so I didn't get it. But yeah. actually, that'd be quite clever because then you don't have to do the whole blowing on the face thing.
1: It's just kind of fun, too, just to look. You can see their heart rate like at any time and just pull out your phone or whatever. Yeah, it worked pretty well.
0: Okay, cool. I'm going to add it to my list to buy one of those. I think it was relatively cheap. Yeah, so. yeah, it was. Uh, okay. Oh, allet That's cool. what it
1: was. al Allet or something like that.
0: Yeah. Al-Alet. Yeah. It sounds like a Middle Eastern building. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, like the Burj Al-Khalifa or whatever it's called. The al the Burj Al-Alet. <laughs> I could be being quite offensive. Is this offensive? <laughs> Am I being racially insensitive again? Um, so, yeah, no, that's all going well. I, I have in my notes here, briefly mentioned the contest. So yeah, shall I do that? Yes, and then sure. we can uh, give the people what they want? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is the Brain Food Show, obviously. If wherever you're listening to this, if you're watching it on YouTube, well, step number one, why not listen to it as a podcast for your own convenience? It's way better there. And then, way better. You don't have to look at our stupid faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you've started listening to it as a podcast, go leave it a review on iTunes or uh, Stitcher Or uh, any of these other podcast apps that I don't use. And, you know, let us know how we're doing. And if you do, we are, when it gets to a thousand reviews on the American iTunes store, we're going to go through and pick someone at random, but not just from that store. From all of the iTunes stores. Wait, so if you're like British and you're thinking, well, that's a bit unfair, Simon. That sounds a bit racist to me. Um, You're discriminating against British people. I'll be like, well, that's okay, because you're included too. You can... uh, Leave your review, we'll compile them all, we'll choose someone at random to win a $1,000 Amazon gift card. If that's not a good reason to go and leave us a review, doesn't have to be a good review, although it would be uncomfortable, like we always say. If <laughs> It's like, congratulations, one-star winner, <laughs> who <Well, laughs> hates our podcast. We would never
1: actually have to give it to them, though, because if you think about it, the one-star person's not going to keep listening, so when we announce the contest winner, they're never going to hear it, and so at a certain point, we'll just be like, well, you know. The one-star person never responded, so best. now we're going to pick someone else. Yeah.
0: We're going to get people now just hate listening to our podcast on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I hate it, but I have to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, should we move into some actual... Facts yep. and stuff. I mean, the facts about baby heart monitors and stuff was great. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. no, handy. I mean, like our usual stuff. I really like that, uh, that little device. But <laughs> yeah. yes,
1: so quick fact today, we're going to look at- How's that for a quick fact? Yeah. We're going to look at the, the woman, the first woman to ever cast a political vote in Chicago, when Kitty Smith, and what is interesting about her, besides, of course, she was the first, was that she also cast her vote with her feet. And so why her feet? So she actually lost both her arms as a child, and she basically just um, burned them really badly on a kitchen stove. And you think, how could you burn your arms so badly that they have to amputate them? Um, And so for a long time, it was rumored and still kind of rumored that her father did it. Like he just like held her arms against the hot stove uh, because he was alcoholic and extremely abusive. But uh, and and the sever- <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah the severity of her burns was kind of because mostly I mean if you're gonna fall against the stove or touch it with your arm you're just gonna jerk away so why didn't she do that why was she just like seemingly holding them against there to burn them so badly they need amputated but Kitty herself denied this uh, when she was an adult she said in her own words.
0: My father was a drinking man, and he was in the habit of sending his children to a neighboring saloon for liquor, though I was sent more often than any of the others. I remember tasting of the liquor I carried and thinking it was always beer. In November 1891, and on the afternoon of Thanksgiving Day, my father and I were alone in the house. My brothers, uh being at play out of doors, and in going about the house, I found a bottle filled with what I afterwards knew must have been whiskey. Being but a child, I picked up the bottle and drank freely from it. Its effect was almost immediate, and I grew weak and stupefied. My father i love that word stupefied it's what i'm gonna start when i get drunk from now on i'm just gonna say that i'm in a state of stupefaction rather than you know (laughs) it's like how much did you have to drink uh i'm not drunk i'm stupefied sorry my father was (laughs) in an adjoining room and called me to go and put some wood on the kitchen fire and i called back that i was sick and could not go but he insisted and i obeyed i had taken the lid from the stove when from the combined effect of the heat and the liquor my whole being gave way and i sank onto the open stove unconscious i must have lain there sometime for the physicians and surgeons said the bones of my hands and arms were amputated three inches from the shoulders good lord yeah that's no joke yeah. i was i've never been that drunk i shouldn't <laughs> make fun i was burned on the neck and on the chest but those burns were not serious we lived at this time at 548 park avenue and neighbors claimed that my father was also intoxicated and that he held me on the stove until my arms were burned and then and that they heard my screaming The Humane Society of Illinois took the matter and had my father placed under arrest. After a trial in a justice court, he was held to the grand jury, and on the final trial in the spring of 1892, he was acquitted for lack of evidence. that is dude when you started this off and you were like why did she cast her vote with her feet kind of almost upbeat i'm like oh it's gonna be entertaining and then it turns out to be the most horrific thing ever no it is
1: and it's really sad because there's this picture of her as a little girl that she has her arms and i didn't include this in this but like she she's like talking about this picture it's like one of her most cherished possessions because it's the only picture the only like picture she has of her with her arms and she just like really loves You know, seeing her little arms there, and she didn't, you know, didn't have them later. So after this got worse for her because after she loses her arms, very shortly after, her father just waived all rights to her and gave her up to the Children's Mm -hmm. Home Society of Illinois. And so it's not where they hear her mother had already died when she was nine years old. So it just really sucked to live back then. Um, as well, um, I get it. Well, we're doing one uh, pretty soon on the has a knight, a medieval knight, ever actually rescued a damsel in distress? And if you want to see like a script that just show so proves how awful like if you're a woman living in any time in history like right now this is the only time you would want to live and maybe like in the future obviously but like it is so you're gonna read this script soon and you're just gonna be like wow yep um i don't want to really spoil it here but people should go and watch that one okay because it's really good and it's super interesting um but yeah anyways so yeah she's her, her mother dies when she's nine she's given up to the orphanage and then she's taken and kind of you know goes to a variety of homes over time and she eventually gets educated and learns to write with her feet and do so she can sew with her feet and do a lot of other do like crafts and stuff um which is how she would later support herself
0: i'm um, doing this and if you go look this just the idea of getting so dexterous with your feet yeah is quite like I can barely even, I don't think I can move my toes individually.
1: No, and if you go look at her handwriting, it's really good. Like, even for cursive, it's like, you know, cursive often <laughs> I is... believe that's foot writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put a
0: bump. that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah if you go look god it's not
0: appropriate if you go i don't know what's wrong with me today i'm super inappropriate <laughs> if
1: you go look it's really good there's lots of examples of her writing and this is how she supported herself she sold drawings she did art and uh embroidery and write wrote cards and stuff uh so when she was an adult that's how she supported herself and then she goes uh, eventually becomes the first woman to vote in chicago illinois in 1913 and you might think at this point i mean you might not but people who are more familiar with U.S. history... No, I definitely won't. (laughs) ...would would think, wait a minute, the 19th Amendment allowing women to vote didn't happen until 1920,
0: so how did she vote... In 1913. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. The 19th Amendment, David. <laughs> yeah. and It's so, exactly, you know. It turns, just after the 18th and yeah. before the 20th.
1: It turns out in, in Chicago, women actually had the vo- right to vote in by, by <laughs> 1913 and later. And this was uh, Gracie Wilbert-Trout and a bunch of others uh, kind of pushed for this and eventually got Illinois to agree. On June 26, 1913, women were allowed to vote in not just the local elections but they could actually vote in the U.S. presidential elections. Um, the wider and so yeah so this this is how she did it and she led the way over a quarter of a million women in 1913 voted and she was the first with her feet you know so
0: yeah well nice ending at least yeah
1: sort sort of i mean she still doesn't have her arms it started
0: off being horribly burned and yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh speaking of skills (laughs) maybe skillshare's got a course on pronunciations yeah. That I, I wouldn't take Because I don't care yeah. uh, But the, you know I'd definitely take One of their other courses mm-hmm. <laughs> Learn one of the other skills That you can learn on there Skillshare Is an online learning community For creatives That would be you That would be me That would be millions Of other people And they all come together On this beautiful platform That is known as Skillshare To improve their skills together To become Well if not more creative I don't know. Can you learn to become more creative? I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe there's a course on Skillshare about learning how to become more creative. I, I don't totally know. I did look that up. I certainly so probably... think
1: you can learn to become more creative. just practice, like anything, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like, oh, uh, James Altucher's got a big spiel on that where he does where he does the. Um, the practice like every morning or whatever whenever he does it where he'll just write like ideas just like and it doesn't matter the craziest stupid ideas but then when you just do that all the time you just start coming up with actual good ones sometimes you know and you get better at coming up with good ideas and not just all stupid and yeah i totally think uh, with all that yeah
0: okay well there i am being sarcastic but you can probably <laughs> learn about creativity yeah. on skillshare yeah. i'm betting it's on there. i'd look it up right now if it wasn't so disruptive to the ad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, there's lots of stuff that you can try on there. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, a dabbler, a master. These were the four ones they said for me, you know, it's in the, it's in the little ad copy we get. And I'm like, can't we just say everybody would learn something from Skillshare? I believe if you're a beginner to a master, that's got to be everyone in between, right? Yeah, pretty much. So I think that, you know what that means? Skillshare is a fit for everyone listening. Mm-hmm. And that means everyone listening could potentially support this show and go and sign up. Uh, you want to hear about something I've done on their platform? We did something. I did. Yeah. Um, what was it? You know, emails. Well, emails, right? Yeah. Like I had my kind of email management system was I just use Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> I actually. feel like ninety nine percent of the population. Yeah. And it just comes in, and I try and clear them out and then I don't know if you get this but there'll be like 70 emails at the bottom of the box which is all stuff that you don't really want to reply to and have been putting off for months and you're like "Uh, yeah I don't really I just know and it kind of I don't know it makes me feel bad about myself (laughs) so I was like honestly I did it because Skillshare were doing a read uh, on this channel and they were like I had to choose something from their like specific like selection of courses Mm -hmm. and I was like well okay I feel pretty bad about this constantly so I'm at least going to try this one out (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. So now I have this system, like stuff comes in and the stuff that you don't want to deal with, you can just file away somewhere else. But then it's like you can come back to it at specific times and deal with it. So rather than feeling guilty about it all the time, you just have this like one granted unpleasant moment <laughs> of going through and actually dealing with it, which, you know, while not great because it's you still have to do your emails... It makes, it, it, it's just, a yeah, just building a system around this makes me feel better about myself. So yeah. that's my course recommendation. Who's it by? Alexandra Samuel. That would probably be good. Because uh, I'd recommend checking that out.
1: Yeah, the other day I spent an entire day going through over a thousand emails because I had been putting it off uh, for a little bit. Dude. <laughs> yeah.
0: I thought 70 was bad. <laughs> I got it down to. Well, you should take this course as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I got it down to like 10 of those ones that I just really didn't want to respond to at that moment because they were too long, you know. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's only 10. You did 990. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So I think what we've established with it in the last couple of minutes is Skillshare is for everyone. There are millions of people already using it. It will solve all of your life's problems, not a guarantee. And uh, especially email problems or learn some skills. Become more creative. I bet that's on there. Yes. And you can get two months of Skillshare premium for free. Just go to skillshare.com forward slash brain food Two months of premium for free. Skillshare.com forward slash brain food. It's for you because it's for everyone. Let's carry on. All right. So what are we talking about
1: today? And today we are talking about one of the more, I think, uh, interesting and awesome women in, I don't know, not just American history. She's just a pretty a pretty unique, um, interesting woman, well ahead of her time. Many of the things she advocated for would still be a little bit ahead of their time for the 21st century, but not as much. But she lived in the 19th century. And so this woman was the first woman ever to run for the uh, office of the presidency in the U.S. Um, And she did this all the way back in April 2nd, 1871, is when she announced her candidacy, and the woman was named Victoria Cloughlin Woodhull. Um, which I'm probably going to keep saying Woodhill because every, when I was uh, going through this I just kept saying that. Um, but Woodhull. And so Woodhull begins begins her life as Victoria Cloughlin in 1838. She's the seventh of 10 children born to Roxana and Reuben Cloughlin. And so she was despite her later success, you know she ran for presidency. She was also the first female stockbroker on Wall Street and she was super successful at that. Um, and she actually had only three years of formal education occurring from when she was eight to 11. She might have received more, but her father ended up burning down his grist mill to in order to collect on an insurance policy that he had recently (laughs) taken out. What's a grist mill? I don't know. I was actually going to look that up and I totally forgot. Uh, Grist.
0: It's probably really boring, but I kind of imagine it as like something, you know, that transforms like, you know, the gristle from chicken bones into like chicken McNuggets or whatever.
1: Yeah. uh, It's actually a corn mill or flour mill. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but slightly boring in comparison it is,
0: uh but because you know, compared chicken McNuggets, compared to bread. So it
1: turns out this this insurance fraud that he was going for here was kind of par for the course Mm. for him because he was a professional con artist and snake oil salesman (laughs) was her father, and so this was actually the last straw. Like he had done a lot of conning people and and doing stuff like this all the time, and so the town residents literally just ran him out of town, like in the literal sense, like literally (laughs) chased him out of town.
0: And uh, as for his wife and children, who were still alive. it's it's just not something that happens anymore right (laughs) no like no one's like oh you've been naughty we're gonna run you out of town
1: yeah run him out on a rail but I'll just come back yeah (laughs) but his wife and children were still there initially and they didn't have any money to leave. Basically, was the problem. So the townspeople hated the Cloughlins so much that they raised money for the family just so they would go somewhere, like anywhere, just leave, like the rest of the family. Um, so Victoria, this was kind of her her childhood, and so her. We're also gonna talk a little bit about her younger sister Tennessee Cloughlin. So she was also kind of equally as notable as Victoria. Um, but so they they decide mm-hmm. to start so su- helping support the family as magnetic healers, clairvoyants, and fortune tellers. Oh, and this was at the you know this is she was quite young early teens when she started this um, so unfortunately for her though at the age of 14 one Dr. Canning Woodhull uh, came into her life so this was uh, two months after her 15th birthday her parents went on, went ahead and married her off to the 20 year old doctor uh, in November of 1853 28 year old yeah and she was 15 and this a lot of people think this is, dude yeah a lot of people think this was common and it really wasn't common like really in most of history of the western world no
0: yeah we've We've covered this in enough videos for me to... I think it's come up, like, I don't know, two or three times yeah. whenever this comes up. Yeah. And I, I didn't know this until we were doing videos. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it is totally weird. No, they,
1: they would have considered it totally weird back then. The thing with this, though, she was a poor, you know, poor girl with little prospects. And so a 28-year-old doctor... <laughs> You know, that, that's that's where a lot of the exceptions... Like, certainly the royals had their exceptions just for other reasons. But in this case, they the, the exception was if you were a young girl with no prospects and then some wealthy older guy is like, yeah, I'll marry you, then that's where the parents
0: would... Yeah, dude, I'm where. not saying, like, uh, the whole thing's weird. Yeah. But it's more... The 28-year-old guy is the real weirdo here. Yeah, no, no,
1: totally. And so... <laughs> Yeah. So just for reference, for people to reference, at that time, at this time in the 19th century, 23 years old was the average age for a woman to get married. So that was actually that was actually, Mm. you know, not that far off today. Uh, And so this was also eight years off the mark for her. Um, And it turns out the the since the 18th century, the lowest average age for marriage for a woman was actually accomplished by the baby boomer generation in America at around 20 years old. Uh, was the lowest and that not coincidentally probably is the same group that had the highest divorce rates as well Um, so and they've been in decline ever since the um, the peak of the divorce rates in the 1980s so um, yeah and so to date, also for reference the, the average for a woman is 26 year old for first marriage and 28 for men but going back to Victoria in any event so she's a young teen woman she gets married off to this doctor um, and uh, and basically just because you know there's a bright future there he's a doctor right um, oh I did want to do a quick aside
0: he's a doctor and a bit of a pedo
1: yeah and, and uh, <laughs> I did want to do a quick aside because Ed uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe oh yeah Edgar Allan
0: Poe was a bit of a pedo as well yeah wasn't 20,
1: 26 years old uh, he married his thirteen year old cousin Virginia which I mean. It's so creepy, but in that case, in this case at least, we'll we'll get to Victoria in a bit, like that case didn't work out for her, but in this case, it actually, they're like a really happy couple until Virginia's death at the age of 24 of tuberculosis, because... You know, 19th century So yeah, she even, like, Virginia slept with a picture of Poe under her pillow Was the thing that she always did And she wrote I, this, because uh, Valentine's, Valentine's Day is coming up So I put in the acrostic Valentine's Day poem she wrote for uh, Edgar Allan Poe a year before her death um, And the poem is
0: Ever with thee I wish to roam, Dearest, my life is thine. Give me a cottage for my home, And a rich old cypress vine, Removed from the world with its sin and care, And the tattling of many tongues. Love alone shall guide us when we are there, Love shall heal my weakened lungs, And oh, the tranquil hours we'll spend, Never wishing that others may see, perfect ease we'll enjoy, without thinking to lend ourselves to the world and its glee, ever peaceful and blissful will be.
1: And the, I mean, that's actually not a bad poem, but it's also a little more clever for people who can see it, is if you look at the first letter of every line, it ends up uh, spelling Edgar Allan Poe. So, in any
0: event. Yeah. Yeah. Going back. Is this, so the... Just a quick question. Yeah. The acrostic part of this is the Edgar Allan poem yes, bit, yes. Like, down the left, right? Yeah, yeah. Cause, and, but it also rhymes. It's I, yeah. I, I quite enjoy this poem. No, it's a But as a kid... A, yeah. I was just going to say, as a kid, you know, when you're asked to write a poem in English class and you can choose what type of poem, I'd always choose the acrostic type of poem because then you don't have to make it rhyme. You could just choose any word and just start the sentence with that letter and you're done. Whereas, you know, actually making poems that rhyme, is a bit more complicated. Yeah, well, her husband was Edgar Allan Poe,
1: you know, so it probably helped him. She was... Twenty-three and dying at the time, so you know, laying in bed, ridden. So she probably had a good amount of time to just you know work on it.
0: I'm not but, saying I couldn't make it rhyme. I'm just saying it's, <laughs> e- it's less easy.
1: Yeah. So going back to Victoria, though, her marriage did not work out well at all. Her new husband was an alcoholic and a womanizer, and so um, yeah, she he basically left her, and she eventually had two kids, a daughter and uh, and a son with this guy and left her like kind of in squalor and just saved most of the financial fruits of his labor as a doctor for him and his many mistresses, uh, you know, wasn't home a lot and just out uh, cavorting. So eventually, so this was a time of course where divorcing a man for any reason was super scandalous and left the woman in question without a good way to support herself or her children. Mm-hmm. But she, this was kind of one of the first bucking the trends, major societal trends. And she divorced Dr. Canning after 11 mar- years of marriage And uh, yeah, and interesting, despite the fact that she uh, despised her ex-husband, for whatever reason, she chose to keep his surname for uh, even, she got married two more times and still kept the Woodhull surname the whole time for who she she never said why or not documented why. So the first of her additional marriages was two years after her divorce. She married Civil War veteran Colonel James Blood of Missouri, which,
0: (laughs) take that name. This is the great, this is James Bond villain. (laughs) Yeah, right. Name, like. Yeah, We've got to defeat Colonel Blood. And
1: it's totally way cooler than Woodhull. Uh, she should have totally gone with that yeah. one. But uh, so he actually, Blood, was super encouraging of his wife's free thinking and independence. And so help her fight for equal rights, regardless of sex or race and all the other things we're going to get to that she did. And they also moved to New York City uh, with uh, her sister, Tennessee. They all kind of went there in 1868.
0: Dude, it's weird. Dr. Woodhull's the bad guy. Colonel Blood is the good guy. <laughs> right? I know, right? <laughs> totally uh and yeah he seemed like a, a good guy but uh so yeah so
1: <laughs> new york it worked out really well for victorian tennessee so they're still you know doing the thing where they're you know fortune tellers and all this and and talking to the dead working as mediums and stuff and and you know peddling various snake oil type things like their father had done before but it was during this that they end up meeting cornelius vanderbilt vanderbilt the extremely wealthy Cornelius Vanderbilt and so he was super mm-hmm. interested in spiritualism and wanted to connect with his dead mother and so he was using the the girls for, for this purpose and uh, he also hated doctors so he really liked their method of healing and whatnot as well so they became quite close <laughs> and it's also thought that Tennessee actually became a serious love interest of Vanderbilt's um, but he was super uh, uh, impressed with the, with the two ladies and so he actually invested heavily in the sisters in their founding of Woodhill Cloughlin and Company Bankers and Brokers which was a stock brokerage firm and opened in early 1870 and it made them the first female stockbrokers
0: on Wall Street um this is so strange though like what do you do uh, i'm really impressed with your magnetic healing we'd yeah. like to start a stock brokerage for- <laughs>
1: yeah and you're and your complete like almost con artist nature but i mean maybe that was it It was like con artist wall street's for you <laughs> you know like maybe that yes. was it. <laughs> it's pretty good yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so the business actually thrives He's like you like, know where you girls would
0: really make a killing <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah seriously taking other people's <laughs> yeah. money on wall street so that their their firm actually became super super successful and they got nicknamed the queens of finance in the press uh at which at the, around the same time Hetty green came along investing her own fortune uh rather than working as a stockbroker and her she she got the nickname the witch of wall street so they they were doing uh you know a little better in the public did we, eye
0: did we do a podcast about her or a uh, video? Or uh,
1: video yeah she's super interesting um, if this one wasn't so long already, I probably would have uh, put in some interesting stuff around her because she was quite a colorful woman. I don't think we did a podcast. I think we mm. might have mentioned her son or something. It might some have been point. a video. I can uh, remember. It's just
0: familiar to me, and I can't imagine a reason why yeah. it would be other than that.
1: Yeah, we've t- we finally reached the point. I wonder when it would happen when I when I can no longer like before. Like I've got like five thousand articles. We got like fifteen hundred videos. We got. 60 or 70 podcasts and I used to be able to to keep it in my head like what we've done where and now it's gone like I come across stuff all the time and I'm like have we done that on YouTube yet or like you know the podcast I
0: I had one the other day I've I've got a a new channel called Business Blaze which subscribe if you're listening and I talk about something I it's like I think I know this I'm not really sure and then someone's like Simon of course you know about it you did an entire video about it like two years ago oh yeah I guess I do you're like that was 3,000 videos ago so you know yeah can't keep it all. it is a bit like i can't possibly keep up
1: yeah i at least have not lost i can always tell when i have covered something somewhere you know i just no longer sure where yeah it's but it's that
0: vague recollection right it's yeah. like, ay, 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 this is from like too familiar to have just been something i read on the internet you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah
1: they're they're were quite successful in their little stock brokerage thing almost right away so they were able to actually use funds from that to found then the woodhull and cloughlin's weekly newspaper uh, the two sisters so they focused a lot on like a lot of controversial ideas like promoting sex education which was a big no-no at their Ooh, time steady on yeah
0: yeah, yeah uh, publishing also the, the the only the only option is abstinence yeah. yeah exactly or yeah wait isn't that something you still struggle with today i swear i read about this on like reddit or whatever where it's you know yeah. some american school has banned education <laughs> you know you can't mention condoms it's like that yeah. seems like a terrible idea
1: well and at the time in the 19th century it wouldn't even be the option is not abstinence because you have to do whatever your husband uh, wants basically or as we'll get into here this was kind of a, a part of her platform so she also committed the triple taboo of the day of speaking out not just in support of equal rights and fair treatment regardless of race but also regardless of sexual orientation or sex um so this was this did not make her her publication popular um, in, in a lot of circle circles so a bit controversial oh and she also advocated for the legalization of prostitution which which at the time there were over ten thousand of them in new york uh, and so it was something that like in 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 her view, she points out is so society completely rejects it as a thing, like legally the the women are shunned and all that, mm-hmm. and yet almost the entirety of the male half of the population is frequenting their services uh, <laughs> while at the same time passing laws, making it illegal um so yeah
0: yes well hypocrisy is not a new thing <laughs> she was
1: if you really i, I included uh, some of her writings here and some of the transcripts of her speeches but like if people want to go be entertained go read woodhill's speeches and writings because she's hilarious and i think probably for having a con artist of a father probably helped you know like growing up in that you know she's she was a very talented mm-hmm. speaker and uh, and and um debater basically um so Yeah, so she also used the weekly eventually to further her own candidacy for the office of the presidency, but she didn't actually announce it there. She announced it in the New York Herald on April 2nd, 1871, as mentioned in her letter to the publication. She wrote,
0: I claim the right to speak for the unenfranchised woman of the country and announce myself as a candidate for the presidency
1: yeah and so it is noteworthy here she wasn't actually old enough to be the president uh she was uh, a little bit about six months off, like if she were to actually be have been wow. elected, she would have wait been, how old do you have to be uh thirty five is when you you have to be but uh so some people say, is that true even today? yeah Yeah. And but there are there there are like laws like this where so, like, for instance, Henry Clay, which uh, was a famous U.S. politician. And so he he became a senator before the age of 30, which was also 30 was the cutoff for senators. But nobody seemed to care. So there's there's precedent. So, like, had she been elected, like of of them just ignoring it. So even in Henry Clay's case, like his opponents, particularly when it looked like he was going to win, could have just been like, nope. He's not old enough, so we win now. You know, like they could have done that, and they, nobody did. Nobody bothered because um, you know he won the election. So there is precedent for for Whoa. that being ignored, not in
0: the presidency, but um, but yeah. Had she, Cause it... dude, I'm I'm like 32. I would feel I don't know, slightly nervous about someone my age running, yeah, a country because I be like, I just don't feel like I've got enough life experience yet. I'll still be like I don't know, but maybe I'm just not a competent adult. But, don't know. Feels <laughs> young. It does. I don't think me. we have such a restriction in the UK. But I don't think anyone without grey hair, you know, or old enough to have grey hair, would really get elected.
1: Yeah, it'd probably be an interesting, more interesting presidency because particularly younger people tend to be more impulsive about things, you know, a little bit than the, than well, in theory, yeah. in theory, anyway, not not everyone, um, but. Yeah, so Woodhill's presidential campaign platform, as you might have guessed from from the things we've talked about, or so far was women's suffrage. She was huge on that. She was also huge on shortening of the workday and workweek. Which, for reference, here in the late eight in eighteen ninety, so a um, couple decades later, so there was a survey done by the federal government in the U.S. that the average worker got to be mad high Working tradesmen, yeah, ninety to a hundred hours per week. Which, if you do the math, is over because they work six days a week. So if you do the math, that's over sixteen hours a day. Was the average? Yeah,
0: um, yeah. That, this is i don't know i make we both work i don't know we both work i assume very long hours yeah, yeah. and well it's like 3 a.m or pe- 2 a.m right now so and i'm still working so right exactly and i mean it's it's 10 21 a.m here so it's, <laughs> no, it's a very normal time to be working like if i wasn't working at ten twenty on a monday morning it'd be like what's up yeah um But people often, you know, comment or like send me emails. It's like, wow, you know, you must work really long weeks. How do you not burn out? And I'm like, dude, until like a hundred years ago. (laughs) Yeah. The hours I work, people would be like, whoa, you're pretty lazy, huh? Exactly.
1: Because the factories, speaking of Britain and stuff, the Factories Act of 1847 made it so that children, they limited them to working only 60 hours a week. As a, as a thing to just you know,
0: which is still a long. That's yeah, that's a ten-hour
1: days, six days a week for six children. six days a week children. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, like like, we're putting
0: like, labels on jars like Charles Dickens.
1: Yeah, so uh, compared to workers back then, we're we're like featherweights.
0: <laughs> so yeah. The we became soft <laughs> exactly and, they, and it's also what do I do I sit at a desk and talk to you in yeah. a microphone it's not really hard is no, it no they were <laughs>
1: working in like the mines and like if people go back and listen to like the Charles Dickens the sledgehammer for the poor man's child episode you know like yeah yeah, not not a good time
0: So And it's you're having a miserable time And it's basically ruining you It's yeah. like the worst I'm going to get is like Oh, my wrists are a bit funny from typing too much <laughs> Or like my back's a little funny Because my chair's not properly ergonomical And these guys are like Oh, he got blown up in a mine Yeah Or he's got black lungs <laughs> It's like <Yeah>. great <laughs>
1: And even then, like your back or something, you can just go to like a massage therapist or something and they'll fix you right up, right? Or a chiropractor. And whereas back then it's like, no, I have the black lung and I'm like dying at 25. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, so... What else? Uh, beyond this, her campaign was also the, the most controversial part of her campaign, and the one we're going to focus on because it's the most interesting. Is the her advocacy of free love, which again, this is like the mid nineteenth century, so this is this was ahead of her time. So in her view, women at the time were just sexual slaves to men, and that's uh, and so just you know they were used basically for sex and procreation, and most men didn't have really much interest in women beyond that. Um, so. And also her uh, women didn't really usually have a say in who they married, which um, so she stated in a speech on November 20th, 1871, entitled The Principles of Social Freedom.
0: It is high time that your sisters and daughters should no longer be led to the altar like sheep to the shambles. The sexual relation must be rescued from this insidious form of slavery. And she goes on. To woman by nature belongs the right of sexual determination when the instinct is aroused in her then and only then should commerce follow when women when women rise from sexual slavery to sexual freedom and the ownership and control of her sexual organs and man is obliged to respect this freedom then will this instinct become pure and holy then will woman be raised from the iniquity and morbidness in which she now wallows for existence and the intensity and glory of her creative functions be increased Fold.
1: Yeah, and so she also, mm. she thought the key mechanism for making this happen would be basically not just voting power, which she was pushing for, but more important was the right to be able to earn a living and be properly educated uh, to basically allow them, allow women to become, you know, independent um, from men and not depending on them. So she states...
0: Women must rise from their positions as ministers to the passions of men to be their equals. Their entire system of education must be changed. They must—they must be trained like men to be permanent and independent individuals, and not their mere appendages or adjuncts, with them forming but one member of society. They must be the company, the companions of men from choice, never from necessity. And I love just, yeah, I would, I would add it. I believe it wasn't until like the early nineteen nineties that. It was a crime in the UK. A man couldn't rape his wife. And I think they changed that law in the 1990s, which sounds absurd. But I think that's true. Well, and, I'd need to look it up.
1: And you go back to even like the 1970s or 1980s. You watch like movies where where it's like, especially sports ones and stuff like that. And the yeah, it's just like that. Like the amount of like sexism in them is is you know the, a lot of them don't age well, basically in such a short span, really. But um, no. So I also I liked. I included here her foolproof plan to just make this happen even beyond voting like forget voting forget actual legal rights to anything she quips uh, the foolproof plan to making all of this happen
0: let a woman issue a declaration of independence sexually and absolutely refuse to cohabit with men until they're acknowledged as equals in everything and the victory would be won in a single week yeah so this was this was a uh, you know that a pretty that, good plan though it would totally work um so the, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> The- it's like okay we're changing the law we're changing the law
1: <laughs> yeah so um so the core of our argument was get it done by
0: friday <laughs> parliament <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, so she she was actually the of the societal double standard was basically a big thing for her, the hypocrisy of it. So she meant while men of the age were free to go and have mistresses and go to prostitutes and stuff as they pleased, and nobody really seemed to care. Uh, a woman doing the same would be vilified and get in you know suffer actual harsh consequences, be shunned and all that sort of business. And so, um, yeah, so she she herself was actually a monogamist, uh, interestingly, but she was just advocated. She basically her whole point of all this, not just with like sexual stuff, was just everyone should be able to do what people want and just live the lives they want to live, and no
0: one should be able well, to judge them for that. That was kind of her her maybe even less than that. It shouldn't be that it, she doesn't seem to be saying people should be able to do whatever they want, just that women should be held to the same standards as men. Yeah, well, that... right. No, because I- she's not saying you should. We would, I, you know, polyamory should be a thing. She's just saying, look, if men could do it, they either shouldn't, or we should be able to as well.
1: Yeah, but but it was like her thing is like, if you're not hurting anyone, why can't you just do like, if you're a woman and you want to go work, why can't you go work? Like if you if you're a woman and you want to go do whatever. Yeah why Why can't you and she she talks about this a lot yeah. later we'll get into one of uh, so harriet beecher stowe's brother we're going to talk about uh a uh, little tiff she got in with him about this and it's quite funny there she's got a funny quote where she's like i'm not condemning him i'm i'm applauding him <laughs> but you know i want that ability too but anyways we'll get to that yeah. in a bit um so yeah she was actually herself uh, a monogamist uh, but you know she's advocating for this so she felt that monogamy, particularly in the time when, when you know, people were married, not so much out of love, a lot of times it was more just you know that's a good match, like he has a good job or you know like you know, these, these yeah. sorts of things, like he's
0: a 28 year old doctor, you're a 13 year old poor girl, the match made in. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so for her, she's most marriages were full of miseries. So men or women and men should just be able to go and do what they pleased outside of their marriage. On that way, so <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was this was a major part of her presidential platform, and even today that would be quite the controversial platform to run on, uh, let alone in the mid nineteenth century. So she wanted basically women to have the right to you know have children, marry, divorce, and sleep with who they will whenever they wanted, and all that good stuff.
0: And so she states. I have an inalienable constitutional and natural right to love whom I may, to love as long or as short a period as I can, to change that love every day if I please. And with that right, neither you nor any law you can frame have any right to interfere. Yes, yeah, so she, mm. she quickly gains quite a
1: following on this. And not just like you would think like, oh, among... Among a certain group following, but no, like she actually got ended up being the first woman to speak in front of the House Judiciary Committee uh, in January 11th, 1871. uh, Thanks to a friendship she had with uh, Congressman Benjamin Butler from Massachusetts, he got her the platform, and she spoke out and testifying in front of that body, that governing body. And she was, on this case, she was actually arguing that women already had the legal right to vote, and she made a really good argument. So, thanks to the 14th and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution, which among other things state.
0: The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Wait, that's an amendment? So, yeah. This was already there at the time.
1: Yeah, this was already there and then also it's the it uh, also another th- uh, important passage.
0: Uh, sorry. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. So you can see the argument here. It says
1: the right of citizens of the U.S. to vote shall not be denied. And then it says all persons born or naturalized in the U.S. are citizens and so therefore women are citizens and therefore they should have the right to vote based on these two things but this is not how the law was interpreted at the time even though that i mean it's pretty plainly it's pretty clear <laughs> yeah it's super yeah. clear right uh, but yeah that's not how it was interpreted so women were not citizens in that <laughs> sense. you
0: seen that that family guy sketch where they're like i think it's family guy where they or it's like flashes back to the um Who wrote the Constitution, like the forefathers or whatever, yeah, and yeah. it's like there's the right to bear arms, yeah. and then he points at this thing on the wall and it's like two arms of a bear <laughs> like just attached to the wall, and he's like, I have no idea how this could be confused, <laughs> <laughs> yeah."
1: Yeah, well, there's actually quite a bit of the uh, of the Constitution was initially interpreted one way, and it was actually Lincoln who really switched it when they started looking at the Declaration of Independence as an actual thing that was important to, to like, interpreting the Constitution. So before Lincoln, it really wasn't, like, the Declaration of Independence wasn't really, like, this important thing other than just sort of, like, this historical footnote of, like, you know, declaring. It wasn't, like, considered something... That was that should define like the way we thought about the Constitution as it was made and then Lincoln and that Mm. that started to get pushed more Uh, and then it became like a thing where now we're going to look at the Constitution slightly different based on the four the founding fathers were saying this thing here. So we should kind of look at the constitution and stuff here and kind of interpret it a little slightly differently. Um, So that was like a a thing like you can, uh, depending on how you look at the wording of things, you can really uh, change their meaning quite a bit. So, but that was her argument. It's a really Mm -hmm. good argument. Uh, Nevertheless, um, (laughs) the, They didn't really go for it, but she went on, she also went on talking about women, the plight of women at the time in the the Americas, and looking at, uh, it was basically, in her view, much like Americans before the American Revolution, particularly regards with taxation without representation. So she ends up giving um, a speech, her famous, one of her more famous speeches, Lincoln Hall speech, on February 16th, 1871, she states...
0: I and others of my sex find ourselves controlled by a form of government in the inauguration of which we had no voice and in whose administration we are denied the right to participate though we are a large part of the people of this country was George III's rule which he endeavored to exercise over our fathers less clearly an assumed role than is this to which we are subjected he exercised it over them with their consent and against their, without their consent and against their wish and will and naturally they rebelled the men of the United States assumed and exercise any less arbitrary rule over us than that was no not one whit the less to be sure his cabinet were few well there are many but the principle is the same in both cases the inherent elemental right to self-government is equally overridden by the assumption of power but the authority king george's parliament exercised was even more consistent than this is which they assume uh, Ugh. But the authority King George's parliament exercised was even more consistent than this is which they assumed and exercise. His government made no pretension to emanation from the people. When our fathers launched taxation without representation is tyranny against King George, were they consistent? Certainly. Were they justified? Yes. Men fashioned a government based on their own enunciation of principles, that taxation without representation is tyranny, and that all just government exists by the consent of the governed. Proceeding upon these axioms, they formed a constitution declaring all persons to be citizens, that one of the rights of a citizens is the right to vote, and that no power within the nation shall either make or enforce laws interfering with the citizens' rights. And yet, men deny women the first and greatest of all the rights of citizenship—the right to vote.
1: Yeah, she fails. It's a bit
0: weird reading that as a British man, like because clearly it's very American and women-centric. Yeah,
1: yeah, but um, yeah, she fails to convince the committee. But she's she's you know she's writing a very well-circulated paper. Mm -hmm. She's she's you know giving these speeches to to large crowds and everything. So she did start to draw the the uh, attention of a lot of the major key figures in the women's suffrage movement at the time. So like Susan B. Anthony, she actually postponed the start of the National Woman Suffrage Association Convention just so she could go watch uh, Woodhull speak. Um, and so the the problem with Woodhull is she was so out there on a lot of things uh, ahead of her time on a lot. She was like too much. Like sure, they wanted the right to vote, but like she was taking it too far. And so They had real strong reservations of sort of making her part of the official movement. Um, But they ended up, and it was particularly like her views on sex and divorce Mm -hmm. and like that sort of business. And so like uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, actually, though, she initially, not not much later, like later the women's suffrage movement really hated Woodhull. Um, But so initially, at least, she felt that this should be overlooked in a letter she dated. uh, It was dated April 15th, 1871, she (laughs) states.
0: If all they say is true, Mrs. Woodall is better than nine-tenths of our father's husband's sons, and women's purity amounts to little in the regeneration of the race, as long as man is vile. Now, if our good men will only trouble themselves as much about the purity of their own sex as they do about ours, it will make them, it will make one moral code for men and women. We shall have a nobler type of manhood and womanhood in another generation than the world has yet seen. When our soldiers went to fight the battles of freedom of the late war, did they stop to inquire into the... Ad- ad- Antecedents of everybody by their side The war would never have been finished If they had Now although I believe Mrs. Woodhull to be a grand woman I should be glad to have her work For her own enfranchisement If she were not I think she would become a better woman By thus working and by assuming all the rights Privileges and amenities Of an American citizen I thought
1: that was kind of an interesting argument Because Elizabeth Cady Stanton is. She's sort of saying uh, In the first place she's saying Men, if would men would be more like more pure like women, so she was sort of embracing mm-hmm. that that thing. But men should be more like that. Whereas Woodhill's doing the exact opposite. It's like women should be able to do what the men are doing. Uh, so it was kind yeah. of the polar opposite there. And then of course she was just like you know, you know Woodhill's got a good platform and whatnot, so we should have her join because even though she's not you know up to our standards necessarily, because this was the other thing is a lot of these women where we're like middle class and upper class like and quite a lot of wealthy women on the women's suffrage movement leading it and then you have Woodhull who's this uneducated daughter of a con artist and herself for <laughs> a, a con artist so they she was really looked down upon for that reason too just her, her her class or whatever she was she was a poor woman you know from a poor standing that had you know made something of herself uh so
0: i don't know um, she's a bit too radical for them
1: yeah yeah um, so yeah so she was her star was writing the rising though and so she ended up creating the equal rights party which subsequently nominated her as their presidential candidate naturally in may of 1872 and ratified, <laughs> ra- ratified the nomination too. <laughs> yeah i know uh they did It'd be no- awkward
0: if they nominated someone else
1: <laughs> yeah they did actually nominate for her vice president candidate was american um frederick Douglass. which are have, are you familiar with frederick douglas yeah all? didn't we do a video about him
0: yeah maybe i don't know Oh, point. maybe i did a biographics about frederick Douglass.
1: yeah probably I, I don't know if we've done it on youtube i've covered him but i don't know if we ever made that one to youtube but yeah he was a pretty awesome guy if you ever read his his uh autobiography is really good um yeah it's one of those ones that they make you read in school that's actually interesting you know like most of them are kind yeah of that crap. would have been nice yeah this one
0: reading bloody ethan frome i was gonna <laughs> yeah. shoot myself yeah no Fred... did we talk about this before oh my god no like the books i had to read in school oh <sighs> yeah 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 no Fre- and i mean it's not like there's not lots of great british books yeah stuff. i just had to read ethan Frome.
1: yeah no frederick douglas like we, we got to read <laughs> frederick Douglass, and he was good he is a really super interesting um autobiography of his um so yeah i'm surprised they haven't made like a really good movie about like him but in any event so unfortunately for them though when they did nominate frederick douglas as their vice president he did not respond to the nomination and he actually uh, ended up campaigning for ulysses s grant instead um so her hope her hope with this party was that by by having douglas if he would have agreed to be her vice presidential candidate it would unite the both the the women's suffrages and the people fighting for um, black american rights into one group mm-hmm. um so that would that would help uh the platform so yeah he ended up not responding though and campaign for ulysses as grant
0: instead <laughs> i feel like i feel like if i was in the position i'd at least be like thanks but no thanks yeah. like i'd write them a letter <laughs> yeah yeah something but yeah no not nothing she was a
1: little too out there for for that so um okay yeah and she did know to be clear here she knew she had no chance of being elected but that was not the point of any of this this was the point to have a national platform in which to spread the ideas. Um, that she was she was advocating for, um, so mm-hmm. yeah, her her campaign though we're gonna get, now we're gonna get to the uh, so the famed advocate of evolution and well as a uh, advocate for Black and Chinese American rights, clergyman Henry Ward Beecher, who his sister most people have heard of his his sister Harriet Beecher Stowe, and she's much more famous now. A lot of people today haven't heard of Henry Ward Beecher, but in his time he was super famous across the country. Uh, he knew he was a, he was a clergyman minister, um, so and this this he he advocated for. Um, for a lot of the same sort of controversial ideas as Woodhull, obviously, but the one the free love one was once again the sticking point where he he hated Woodhull and he he railed against her on his platform and using his 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 platform across the nation, people listening to his sermons and stuff to that, and he likened her to the devil. And all that. And even cartoonist Thomas Nast, the famous cartoonist, uh, he got in on the action and depicted Woodhull as the devil in a Harper's Weekly uh, cartoon. And get this. So this cartoon depicts a wife of an abusive drunk. So she's being abused. And uh, in response to Satan or Woodhull, uh, Woodhull is depicted as Satan in this, uh, is encouraging the woman to divorce her husband because he's abusing her. And so instead, in the cartoon, the abused woman states,
0: "Get." get thee behind me mrs satan i'd rather travel the hardest path of matrimony than follow in your footsteps yep so wait, uh, I'm trying to work it out uh i'd rather travel she a... she's rather be abused oh, okay. and stay married <laughs> yeah than and get to be evil and get divorced <laughs> yeah <What>? yeah and <laughs> that...
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep um so in any event so no it, Woodhill didn't I mean she was criticized like this all the time, so she didn't really mind this one. What she hated, what she didn't like was Beecher's condemnation. I feel like she'd see it and be like,
0: guys, really, come yeah. Yeah. This is no
1: No. Yeah, so but Beecher's condemnation was different because he he wasn't in the happiest of marriages, and so for reason and for reasons separate from what we're gonna discuss here, uh he just didn't have a happy marriage, so He long had rumors swirling around him of having many, many affairs and several (laughs) mistresses. And so throughout his adult, and the joke was literally, to quote uh, one report,
0: Beecher preaches to seven or eight of his mistresses every Sunday evening.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so she she naturally he, him condemning her for her advocating free love when she was in a monogamous relationship herself and just was yeah. advocating for free love and he was the hypocrisy author. angle again isn't yeah. it yeah um so she ends up learning from so oh on this on so beecher's editor and patron his his own patron henry bowen Henry Bowen's wife would later confess to Henry Bowen that she even had an affair with Beecher. Um, So he even was going to his patron who was supporting him, helping to support him. So, yeah. Uh, In another case, uh, Edna Dean Proctor actually claimed uh, she helped Beecher write a book. And uh, and she actually claimed Beecher raped her. But they did end up having like a a relationship for like a year after that. So Beecher actually claims Mm -hmm. it wasn't wasn't rape it was just you know uh but either way whatever whatever going on with that one uh the pair continued to have their affair for a year after and so this leads to woodhill who learns from elizabeth Katy stanton that a friend of beecher's theodore tilton had told elizabeth Katy stanton that beecher was having a long-standing affair with his wife elizabeth
0: tilton <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's like the guys who are like yeah let's definitely ban gay marriage definitely <laughs> it's disgusting it's terrible it's like yeah pr- pr- Something's up there Isn't it (laughs) But then they're hanging out At the gay bars You know (laughs) Exactly (laughs) It's like turns was having 17 gay affairs (laughs) Yeah Wow
1: This was And so So this This actually This Theodore Tilton thing Which we'll get into in a minute Actually became a big problem For Beecher later But at this time It wasn't yet. So Woodhull learns of this. And so she finally decides she's going to respond to Beecher. Like he's criticizing her constantly and she's going to blow the whistle on his whole affair thing that the wider public didn't really know about, like people who knew him knew about it. Uh, But, you know, the wider public didn't. So he's this minister railing against these practices and he himself is doing it. So she goes ahead and she's going to use her paper to blow the whistle. So she explicitly states she was happy for Beecher for his sexual freedom in her report on the thing. Didn't judge him in the slightest for his affairs, but she just, you know. (laughs) His whole hypocrisy in condemning her for promoting the idea uh, was was what she really irked her. So she sums up in her her expose, The Beecher-Tilton Scandal Case, published on November 2nd, 1872.
0: I'm not charging him with immorality. I applaud his enlightened views. I am charging him with hypocrisy. (laughs) Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Um, so this actually didn't work out for her because Beecher was really popular throughout the country. And so naturally, as many supporters went after her with a vengeance rather than, you know, being like, wait a minute, Beecher, really? Um, but so, yeah. So they, they ended up, Yeah, this included this happens today though even in political stuff all the time so you have a politician that people support and they might do something that's like so the opposite morally of the people who support them and people still just be like yeah but you know he's our guy you know like so they still you know advocate
0: but it's true people people get locked into opinions and thoughts and then no matter what happens they're like let's just let's just stick with the guy like (laughs) there was that dude who bought. He was like a, a minister or whatever, one of these talent ministers, and he bought a giant private jet. And wasn't he always preaching about, you know, give your tithings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, dude, you bought a G6. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and so and, I can spread the word of God. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, and and you then can't the, do that in economy. Then
1: there people on the opposite political spectrum. Of course, they'll do like, say the tiniest miswording of a sentence and everyone will jump all over it because, you know, they're, they're on the other side. Um, so, yeah. In any event, mm. so so Beecher's many supporters go after her <laughs> with a vengeance, including Anthony Comstock, who I don't know if you've probably not heard of him, but he's the enactor of the Comstock Law, which uh, was... Dude, bas- I've heard of
0: like four people in today's story. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he Comstock Law was famous for... And one for, of them was Lincoln. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so Comstock <laughs> Law was famous for... Uh, the. It was basically just uh, a thing that... So you couldn't basically send any obscenity in the U.S. mail. So this included... Uh, talking about like birth control, this computed it, like even if you were writing a letter to your wife and said something sexual, like technically this was illegal. Um so like any obscenity you it was illegal to send it through the US mail was the point there. So um in it ended up being the case, Anthony Comstock got her arrested for for her basically sending out her publication, speaking about sex and stuff like that at this point. So on the day of voting, rather than you know being around, she was actually sitting in jail along with her sister Tennessee mm-hmm. and her husband Colonel Blood. Uh, they were just sitting in the Ludlow <laughs> Street Jail. Um, so while she was in jail, for reasons not totally clear, her name actually didn't appear on any state ballots, even though it should have. She was officially registered to do so, but they didn't put her name on the ballots anyway. Uh, and she received zero popular votes for her electorates. However, this was later proved that even though her her, her she wasn't didn't appear on the ballots, some people actually did write her in. Uh, they just didn't count. They just were thrown in the trash. So a bit of extra voter, voter fraud there. Um, and then so uh, as for Beecher, he was soon the epicenter of the of the of a case with Theodore Tilton because Theodore Tilton actually sued him for alienation of affection, which was uh, due to the affair with Beecher had with Tilton's wife, and this actually ended up in a hung jury. And once again, Beecher, Beecher, he came out of it mostly unscathed, while as Tilton, him Tilton got excommunicated from the Plymouth Church for charging Beecher with having an affair with his
0: wife, and alienating. Affections. This Beecher guy is like yeah. Teflon preacher.
1: Yeah, he was popular. it you know, was like a political figure, basically. And so, you know, uh, that's kind of what happens. Uh, so it's kind of impressive. Like, he's a dick, but it's like... Yeah, but know, he, he also you, actually... Like, I mean, like, he did advocate for black and, uh, like, the black rights, Asian, Asian-American rights, like, the this sort of stuff. Like, he did, you know, it wasn't all bad, but it's just, you know, this one area was uh, was a, he, he was a,
0: you know... It's more just the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Don't, don't be, don't be such a massive hypocrite. That... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At
1: least if, at least if he can't say something like, don't go, you know, condemning other people for the thing that you're actually doing. Yeah. Um, it's
0: fine. Like if you believe that, great, yeah. go for it. I'm not going to judge you. I mean, yeah. maybe a little, but not much. Yeah. yeah. But when you say it's wrong, it's yeah. like, dude. Yeah. Like, wait a minute.
1: But yeah, so it was, this actually was a thing though that helped Woodhill temporarily because the media did not like that she got arrested. For basically speaking, her mind um, and whatnot, and so the this this was mounted to censorship of the media and journalists across the nation didn't didn't really care for her arrest, and so she was ended up she got released from jail, and five months after that, she was cleared of all charges. But the damage to her to herself was done. So the the public revelation. Uh, so thanks, she. You know her railing against Beecher and, and revealing his hypocrisy, which a lot of people didn't like. Uh, she promoted a lot of taboo ideas. Her presidential campaign, uh, which is uh, largely thought uh, or, or at least panned at the time in the media, is her just trying to get attention for herself um, rather than her mm-hmm. ideas. What she was actually going for was to get attention to her ideas. But so yeah, she did manage to make an enemy of an awful lot of people, including at this point alienating the women's suffrage movement to boot. And so again, this was you know they didn't they didn't like her, uh, and she had kind of gone too far in there opinion and so they turned on her and this this uh, susan b anthony she publicly described woodhill and her sister as lewd and indecent and then when they wrote the the history of the women's suffrage movement they completely removed her even though woodhill was one of the major figures in the early going uh, they saw that she's not woodhill's not really in there so yeah not exactly a controversial uh, uh yeah in any That's, event
0: Yeah, she kind of got a bit shafted. (laughs) Yes, she
1: did. And then Harriet Beecher Stowe, you know, famed author, you know, sister of of, of Beecher. So she obviously went against Woodhill as well. And uh, she called her an impudent witch and a vile jailbird. And then she even in her her story, (laughs) My Wife and I, she kind of goes after (laughs) her. Yeah, she goes after her in the story as well. So the little quote
0: from that story. Uh, Well, said I, why not a woman president as well as a woman queen of England? (laughs) Because... (laughs) Said she, because said he, look at the difference. The woman queen in England comes to it quietly, she is born to it, and there is no fuss about it. But whoever is set to be, but who is whoever is set up to be president of the United States is just set up to have his character torn off from his back in shreds and to be mauled, pummeled, and covered with dirt by every filthy paper all over the country. And no woman that was not willing to be dragged through every kennel and slopped into every dirty pail of water like a an old mob would ever consent to run as a candidate why it's an ordeal that kills a man and what sort of brazen tramp of a woman would it be that could stand it and come oh my and come out of it without being killed wow not much faith in our own gender there huh Mm uh continues would it be any kind of woman that we should would it be any kind of woman that we should want to see at the head of our government? I tell you, it's quite another thing to be president of a democratic republic from what it is to be hereditary queen. Good for you, Papa, said Eva, clapping her hands. Why, how you go on? I never did hear such eloquence. No, Ida, set your mind at rest. You shan't be run for president of the United States. You are a great deal too good for that. Yeah, so that's, then, uh, yeah. that's intense. Also, I, I think it was who was it Oprah who was saying like one of the things about like running for president is you can be beloved like everyone can love you like, or just say, ninety percent of the population thinks you're great. Yeah. After you've run for president, fifty percent are going to hate you.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, unless, unless you somehow manage to run on an independent platform and actually get somewhere with that, and then yeah, that can then you'll work never out. Get but, elected. but no, you won't. I mean, like even even like Donald Trump, like in the early two thousands, he ran on the completely yep. different platform, uh, and, yep. and it didn't work out for him. And then you know he picked a side, and then that worked out
0: um, for him. It's one of the things I actually like about Trump: the fact that he happily switched things to suit. You know. Yeah, One, yeah. His political ambitions but also what you know he thought and, and stuff it's yeah like uh, it's a, a better example would be uh mike bloomberg who mm-hmm. has been republican and democrat at different times depending on kind of what he thought at the time which is you know what a novel idea yeah yeah um
1: so as she actually goes on Beecher Stowe in the 25th chapter she she more directly vilifies um uh, vilifies Woodhull herself she she has a character named Miss Audacia Dangerize and what's notable here is Woodhill reportedly had she was known for her striking blue eyes and so this was you know she was definitely referring to her and she uh and this this Miss Audacia Dangerize
0: also happened to run a paper that advocated to quote against Christianity marriage the family state and all human laws and standing order yikes (laughs) yeah Yeah, so that was I feel like Miss Dangerize and Colonel Blood could yeah you know yeah. they could be involved. Somehow. She definitely One of them should, was not fictional. <laughs>
1: she definitely should have taken the name Blood because that's just way cooler. But um, yeah. yeah, so noteworthy here though, it turns out Beecher had another sister named Isabella, and she was a huge supporter of Woodhull, and uh, and was also uh, a supporter of Woodhull's condemnation of her brother's hypocrisy concerning all the affairs he was having and whatnot. So. And this, this actually led, because of Elizabeth, Isabella's really widespread... She was outspoken about her support of Woodhull. Mm. Uh, it was, the rumor was started that uh, and widely reported that Woodhull had used witchcraft to bewitch Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Here we go. Yeah. yeah. And then it was also speculated that Isabella and Woodhull were, were lovers and all that, but there's actually no hard evidence of that, but whatever, whatever. Um, so after the election, though, this was... So Woodhull, she... Her su- suffered like her social life, like her family. Her family was getting continually harassed. She got booted out of her apartment, and she couldn't find anyone that would rent her a place to stay. Uh, so that was a bit mm-hmm. of a problem. And uh, a lot of her her business dealings and stuff went down the tubes uh, directly after. And uh, largely, she was boycotted, basically, quite a bit. And then she ends up. Uh, so she basically ends up losing most everything. And she's fed up. She's finally fed up. The the women's suffrage movement won't you know, they've turned their back on her. So she's not even being really effective there. Her publications boycotted and, you know, all this stuff. So she finally just like, fine, whatever. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just move to London. And so she ends up divorcing Colonel Blood, uh, and then she takes her and her sister, decide they're going to move to London after the death of Cornelius Vanderbilt in 1877. And so it actually is rumored that after his death, part of the reason they were able to do this um, after the death and not before was because William Vanderbilt, uh, apparently, rumor has it, gave them some extra money so that they would just not talk about her Ooh. his father, like his father's private life, because the two women were quite intimately aware, and it was thought that Tennessee was actually a, a lover of... Cornelius Vanderbilt as well, so it's you know rumored that he just gave him money and that gave him the money then to move to to London, um, so that's what they do, and so uh, briefly just wanted to mention Tennessee. I, I, this was already so long, so I didn't want to go too much into her life. But she was just as much of like, an interesting person as her sister. So she, uh, besides all the other stuff, which she was helping her sister do the whole time, she also ran for Congress. And she Tennessee also was, uh, fought for women's rights to serve in the military. And she was actually herself named a colonel of, a, of the so-called the Colored National Guard Regiment. Um, and then uh-huh. after she moved to London, she married the Viscount of Montserrat, Sir Francis Cook. Uh, So then she, you know, happily married to him. Uh, Also, he was uh, made a baronet. I guess at some point she was by Queen Victoria. So in any event, he died in 1901 and she herself died in 1923. So going back to Woodhill, though, once she went to England, she just started her lecturing tour again. That was how she made money. And uh, she was actually giving a lecture on the human body. The temple of God was the title of this particular uh, lecture. And when she drew the yeah. eye of one John Bedulph Martin, he was a super wealthy banker and uh, six years later they were married and it was her third husband and uh, yeah, she ended up uh, staying married to him until his death 18 years later in 1901 as well both sisters lost their husband in 1901 um, but um, yeah, mm. she ended up serving in like World War I and the Red Cross and all that even though she was quite old which is so crazy to think because she was born in like, you know the early-ish 19th century and she's all serving in, in, in yeah. World War I see, it's like such a different era you know, she's like living through the Civil War and all this and then World War I seems to so, look so much more modern Um, Yeah.
0: And then about the same amount of time now to now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Mm
1: -hmm. So, so yeah. Oh, she also uh, briefly, she went back to the U.S. in 1884 and 1892 to once again run for president. And this well, the 1884 one was notable because it was the first time two women vied for the presidency in the U.S. And so the other woman was one Belva Ann Lockwood. And uh, she was actually also the first woman to be granted the right to practice law in the U.S., uh and she ran for president in 1884 and 1888 and she also she didn't uh she was also pretty vilified in the media but she wasn't really advocating for anything too controversial in her campaigns so it's not not to the extent Um, but in her case uh similarly the the votes for her were dumped in the wastebasket um and so she actually petitioned for for congress to look into the matter of voter fraud because that was clearly happening but they did not uh so in the event
0: um yeah so, the it seems to be voter fraud nah we're just yeah. not gonna look into that at all yeah. <laughs> not a big deal uh, thanks for but, bringing this to us atten- our attention
1: yeah so yeah so after her third husband's death she ended up retiring to uh work <laughs> Wur- i don't know you you go ahead and tell me where that Bread- breeden's norton do you know that place no nope. <laughs> nope uh so she lived to the ripe old age of 88 dying in 1927 and uh she has a great quote summing up her life's work she states
0: while others prayed for the good time coming I worked for it yeah that's awesome that's a great one it's totally that's
1: super good but yeah if you read go read like people should go read a lot of her writing and her transcripts of her speeches because she was a really uh, really kind of an awesome person I think Um,
0: but yeah so (laughs) I had a comment the other day I can't remember which channel it was on but someone says like oh I was really praying that you would cover this part of the story and we didn't I just commented, you didn't pray hard enough. <laughs> 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 Actually, um, I found good. myself quite amusing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's the episode today. If people want to go read more about Woodhull, they should. Go read her works. Uh, they're great. And uh, yeah, we are going to reintroduce, because we just kind of forgot that we used to do this. And then I was listening to old episodes. Uh, Wait, and I was like, hey, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, hey, we used to do at the end, like where we would talk, like people would comment on the forum and reviews and stuff. You know, people would give feedback about something we said. And we, that used to be like a thing at the end of the episodes. And I totally forgot about that because we took like a three or four month break, I think, at one point, And then we just forgot. Um, so I thought we should. Yeah, re- should, reintroduce we should have that. notes <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: of what we actually used to do.
1: Yeah. Um, so, Ugh. yeah, mm. on that note, the, for the first one. the So we were talking in the, the, the episode with the the guy who invented pineapple pizza. Uh, So we were talking about why why did he immigrate to Canada instead of the U.S.? That just seems, you know, weird. Like, didn't most people immigrate to the U.S.? And so commenter uh, Zentin
0: on the forum states, I live in Canada and my dad's immigrated from here, from Denmark, and my dad's family immigrated here from Denmark in the late 1950s, in part because there was a massive advertisement campaign from the Canadian government in Europe to get people to move here. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine just like advertising around a country? Move to Canada.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently it's still kind of a thing. Um, I guess uh, people still pushing to get people to move to Canada, which Canada is pretty great. Um, you know, it's I mean it's cold in a lot of it, but you know, it's it's nice. People are nice, other than other
0: than when they're behind the wheel, as we've discussed before. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't realize countries advertise to get immigrants. It seems like such a strange notion. In you know 2020 to be like because everyone seems to be shut the borders don't let them in (laughs) well but like Canada has so much
1: you know land and stuff and they could use like more people more people paying taxes and you know that sort of business and it's nice it's really nice in Canada it's like beautiful
0: I guess they've got to have some sort of requirements right because oh yeah you must be able to go get a job and and stuff but yeah yeah Yeah. like yeah okay um I see some reviews here that's another thing we used to do (laughs)
1: yeah yeah Do you want to read some should
0: of them? we should we read some reviews yeah did, did you purposefully choose the longest ones you could find let me try this. i just i didn't want to choose
1: the ones that just said like uh great show, great show. you know there's nothing to you know nothing there so i just i just kind of randomly picked ones that were uh, you know actually said something you know gave some feedback or whatever
0: did you purposefully pick all five stars or is that just how it was
1: no that's just how it was there wasn't any in the, in recent i only i didn't scroll back more than like a couple months worth of things but yeah they were i think they were all five stars you actually. didn't just
0: sort by one star just to, you know hate yourself no <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, okay here we go witty ban- banter for history geeks five stars by freaky fred i watch simon whistler almost every day after work on youtube well thanks fred his shows are concise and well written you can't thank me for that though <laughs> <laughs> well business plays uh, right um, that one that's true but that is yeah. the least concise <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's funny <laughs> it's like if you like concise don't you know <laughs> i well, i think if you like place. if you like concise probably don't read anything i wrote <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah. as well
1: yeah.
0: in yeah. fact i don't know geographics and biographies are good like 20-25 minutes long <laughs> i don't know if i'm known for concise anymore
1: <laughs> well I, th- I do think the information density is high so it, well it's that's not, true there's not well, much it's long it's long, yeah. We we put in a lot. We pack in pack in the facts. So,
0: if YouTube, if the YouTube show went, if the YouTube show went to a bar pub and grabbed a few beers pints with a friend mate, I like this British to English translation for me. <laughs> uh, then you'd get this podcast. The material is true to the Whistlerian form, but without the sense of urgency or time restraint of the YouTube shows. My main compl- my main complaint is that stories overlap heavily with the videos already out on YouTube, so it's a bit repetitive. A shopping cart, for example. The podcast can sound like a rough draft of these videos. However, the stories these two gents dig up are still interesting and new to everyone except the most dedicated Whistlerites. Kuma is on point. Love the show, even if I've heard some of the stories before. I'd say, yeah, that's... that's
1: yeah, that's cool. fair. Uh, the 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 funny thing, though, is it's kind of the opposite. Whereas the the video is the rough draft, and this is the much true. more this is this fleshed this, out. This, hustle, this is fleshed out a lot more. We cut out things, um, but yes, that is that is totally a thing, and it's trying, attempting to get away where we're just all the like every episode will just be completely brand new here. But we just don't quite have the time yet. But soon ish, maybe. I'm working on it at the moment uh, to Excellent. to get that to to make that happen. Uh, it's not quite there yet, though, so people just have to. But in the end of the day, we've done, like, 5,000 articles and 1,500 videos. So, I mean, has everyone actually heard everything we've covered, really?
0: You've got to be pretty hardcore. <laughs> you would. That would be, like, the number one fan, so, yeah. Shall I do another one? Yes. Interesting history presented well. Five stars by Non-Zero. The Brain Food Shown Show follows the adventures of British guy and nervous guy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Why, why? You don't strike this me is, as nervous. No, when, and when I host videos, people are always like, relax. And I'm like, I'm relaxed. There's the camera. Like, what do I have to be nervous <laughs> yeah. about here? Absolutely nothing. Like, I can edit out anything stupid or whatever, like, even on this podcast. Like, I don't I don't get that at all. And then it was funny because I used to wear, like, the sweatshirts when we were trying to push that, right? And then I switched to oh, a yeah. nice a nice shirt. And it was funny because it was literally... One day I recorded that. The next day I recorded it with a nice shirt. And <laughs> so like, everyone so confident. It was exactly what happened. Everyone's like, you, you're presenting is improved. You must be like practicing so much. I changed my shirt. Like it was literally the next day. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Dressed maybe to I impress. Should, maybe I should get like one of those like coaches
0: who like how to, I don't know. I don't feel
1: nervous, <laughs> but this is the thing people say.
0: No, if anything, I would say that I, I don't know, I think rambling and carrying on is often that and I would say I ramble and carry on more. But anyway, uh, as they explore interesting facts about history, British guy will sometimes get distracted. That's definitely (laughs) true. (laughs) With an amusing anecdote, that's possibly true. But nervous guy does his best to keep the show on topic. The beauty of the show is its ability to turn a seemingly mundane topic and weave an entertaining narrative around it. British Guy's voice is pleasant to listen to, and I forgive (laughs) his mispronunciation of foreign and sometimes non-foreign words. Nervous Guy does great research and is the backbone of the show. I've spoken. the, The funny thing about this is it's like kind of a compliment, but you know.
1: It's like embedded a little bit. Yeah, it's like a like,
0: backhanded compliment.
1: Yeah, but also kind of funny. Um, but five yeah. stars, so, you know.
0: Um, I like it. Know. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll five stars it. buys you a lot of credit with me. Yeah. Um oh, Jared779. Ooh, what is this? Teaching on Skillshare because of you guys. Five stars. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm curious about this. I should have read these ahead of time. (laughs) Long-time viewer of TIFO and the rest of Simon's lexicon of channels. Love the podcast, everything about it. Your sponsorship from Skillshare inspired me to join. Nice. And after looking through the content, I realized how worthwhile it would be to teach on the platform. I train businesses in nonverbal communication, body language, and found nothing in my field on the site. There will be soon... I should hire
1: this guy to make myself appear not nervous if he teaches nonverbal. Well, yeah, clearly, you should, I'm doing something him as a coach. Yeah, seriously.
0: <laughs> or I should take his Skillshare, I guess. Like, if that's what he's mm. putting on there. Dude, do it. And this will <laughs> be an even better plug than my email course. Yeah. Not my email course, my taking of someone else's email course. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you both for everything that you do and helping me find new ways to expand my business. The first class will be up in January. That's now. I don't yeah. know if it'll be up now because it's mid-January, but this is cool. Um, I'll be emailing you a free link to the class as another thank you. Hopefully, I can teach you guys something, since you taught me so much. Well, thanks, Jared seven seven nine. Yeah, that's we'll great. check that out. Yeah. There's another one. Do you want me to do it, or should we uh, move towards a wrap up? What do you think? Oh, Eddie's entertaining, more. or I, f- I feel like. I don't I don't know. Know. Do people like listening to reviews? Am I doing it? Am I doing it? What do you say? Yeah, I think it's good. Okay, one more, cool. That's, I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. It's a wonderful show. By T K Clo- Co- Cola, maybe. Sorry, this podcast is genuinely one of the best I've listened to. I found it randomly on Pandora. Whoa! Someone discovered you- this podcast in the wild. I like that I sign. Didn't, I didn't know we were on Pandora. I don't even know what Pandora
1: is. <laughs> really? Do they not have it? It's it's like um, I mean, it's almost like the radio, but on online. You know, like Wait, is this you the can...
0: music discovery service?
1: Yeah, kinda. And you can they got like a oh. free version with ads. Like it's a lot like an online radio or you can pay and not get ads, which is
0: the way to go. Yeah, dude. Um, but yeah. I know what this is, but I had this when I was at university, in like two thousand and five. Yeah. This is still a thing? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I still use Pandora. Cool. I got my mixes
1: that I work to. Yeah. Like, what?
0: All right. Yeah. Check it out. Spotify just took over for me. You know you must know Spotify. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I recognize the graphic from YouTube, which I also love. Over the past week, I have binged my way through every episode while I work, and I was never disappointed. The facts are interesting, and the tangents are truly delightful distractions from the defined course of things. That's hardcore, like a week going through, like, 50 episodes? Yeah. In a week? Oh, my. Yeah, I didn't quite gather that. That's intense. Yeah. Um. Uh, Thank you. Good for you. And they, these yeah. are long. Yeah. I must say that I regret that the interviews were discontinued as I found them insightful and the guests unique. Carl Smallwood and the former employees of Sierra Games ride an insightful look into their prospective industries. Speaking of Carl Smallwood, while the YouTube algorithm is certainly mysterious in its mechanisms, subscribing today I found out most likely caused my introduction to Fact Fiend. So my thanks to the two of you, for it is easily my favorite channel on YouTube, but Tifo is a close second. I promise in any course. Thanks, I promise. I promise. In any course, thanks for, the, uh, for your tireless efforts, and I look forward to your next episode. Good journeys. Thank you, TK Cola. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. What a nice Carl. review. Yeah.
1: Carl's great. People can go check that out. Of course. That was Fiends, Subscribe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Shall we uh, move towards the exit?
1: Yeah. Sounds good. Um, this
0: this, this has been sorry. Go on, I missed you. There. This was
1: this was quite long. This one.
0: Yeah, how are we doing? We're at least over an hour, right? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, well over an hour. <laughs> Time <laughs> flies. Uh, this has been the Brain Food Show. Do us a favor, as you know, as we discovered in this show, Skillshare is for everyone, and apparently, you're soon going to be able to learn about body language on there as well. Yeah. Um, Skillshare.com/slash Brain Food, two months for free. Um, anything you want to add? Go leave us a review for the review contest. Anything else?
1: Yep. Uh, nothing. Nothing at the moment, no.
0: Hmm. Well, like I say, this has been the Brain Food Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back, well, soon enough, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, bye for now.